knowing what you believe and why you believe it lies at the very heart of Christian experience, worship, and everyday living. The Bible's not about you. You're not David. Trouble in life is not Goliath. Jesus is going to be David in the shadow. Goliath is going to be sin and death. Who's that make you? Uh, and it doesn't make you the Israelites in the corner going, he's going to kill all of us. That's exactly who you are. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Gospel is that God the Son freely agreed to die our death for us, to suffer our deserved condemnation and doom in our place. And he didn't just agree from eternity to do it, he actually did it. It is fatal, fatal for us to think that we can ever move on from the gospel. The great problem in the evangelical church today where the scripture is concerned is not the inerrancy of the Bible. The great problem in the evangelical church today is the sufficiency of scripture. We don't think it's sufficient to do what we have to do. So we have to wake up to what's happening and recognize that the problem really is our lack of theology. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. I'm Colleen Sharp, and my co-host is Angela Whitehorn. And on this episode, we have a special guest with us, and that is Rebecca Womble. She's actually been on another episode earlier in Theology Gals when we did a special Mother's Day episode. But for those who aren't familiar with Rebecca, we have mentioned her before because she has a wonderful blog called Wise in His Eyes. And on her blog, she reviews a lot of books that are popular. Sometimes they're books that she writes a very positive review. Sometimes it's a more critical review. What I love about her reviews is she obviously approaches each book she reads with a biblical perspective. So if there's something in there that's not consistent with scripture, she's going to point that out. But she also points out uh, positive things from books too. And one of the ones that she did recently, if you haven't read her review of Girl, Wash Your Face, I'm linking it in the episode notes, please read that. But sometimes she talks about other subjects in general, and that's why we brought her on tonight, because she recently wrote a wonderful article on mysticism. We don't need you. And, you know, one thing that I have noticed, and Angela and I have been wanting to talk about mysticism, because first of all, I don't think that everybody completely understands what it is. And I think the other thing as I was preparing for this episode this week is there was a very specific Christian or Catholic mysticism movement. There have been people that have called themselves mystics. But I think that we now see a lot of mysticism within evangelicalism. And that's one reason why we think it's important to talk about. So there may be things that our listeners don't even recognize that may be connected to mysticism. And we and again, just like Rebecca's reviews, we want to look at this from from a biblical perspective because everything that we know about God and who he is and how we worship and how we relate to him and what he's done for us is is found in the word of God. And that's that is our foundation for everything that we believe about this. So first I just wanted to start off talking about what is mysticism. Rebecca, do you have a working definition for mysticism? So in my article, the way I explained it um, was that mysticism tries to give us spiritual ways to gain information 
um, about or communicate with or experience God. So it's, they're trying to help us to connect to the divine and some of the ways that they, they give us to do that are not actually biblical ways. They're more pagan than biblical. And don't you think that there's, there's mysticism that would be not necessarily connected to Christianity. So mm-hmm. I hear sometimes people talk about, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Right. I'm very connected to God. And so that's almost like a sort of mysticism. But then we also have people who connect mysticism to Christianity. Yes. And I think that's actually what's happening. And that's why it's often not recognized as being mysticism is because um, the people who are doing this are taking um, these practices from other religions and pulling them into Christianity, supposedly to kind of add to Christianity a new way to find God or connect with God, but they're not originating from from a biblical um, origin. I think of it too, just as being very experiential and trying to acquire knowledge or ex- an experience with God. That's yes completely apart from his word, though. Yes. Even if they're claiming Christianity. And Angela, I'm thinking with some of your background, too, you probably have some insight. Do you have ways in which you think about that you would maybe define it? Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, I was doing a little bit of reading um, and research, and one of the things that I was surprised to realize, uh, it made sense once I read it, but I maybe wouldn't have thought of it on my own, is that in mysticism, it's not even a requirement to believe in God or a deity. You can be a mystic. I mean, this goes back to what Rebecca was saying about it being pagan, about it being um, definitely not Christian. It's possible to be mystic by believing that this kind of meditation and contemplation, that there's no such thing as God, but this practice is going to bring me some sort of higher knowledge. And and in that way, there's a connection sort of to Gnosticism. There's some overlap there, but Gnosticism does have some peculiar things to it that are um, different than mysticism. But it's that whole idea of that there's a higher knowledge available to be had and my ability to, to get to that knowledge is through these particular practices of you know, meditation, contemplation, and we're, and we're going to talk about some of those um, specifics coming up, but maybe I'll just give a dictionary definition. Um, that That's a great at. idea. Um, yeah, that would be helpful, I think. Okay. So just, just a straight dictionary definition is that mysticism is the belief that union with or absorption into the deity or the absolute or the spiritual apprehension of knowledge inaccessible to the intellect may be attained through contemplation and self-surrender. So, you know, if you think about this contemplation and self de- self-surrender, there's also going to be some connections to asceticism, that whole, uh, and you can see how that would flow into sort of historic pietism. There's some connections there as well. So, you know, mysticism shows up in a whole lot of different ways. And I very much agree with Rebecca that it is being pulled into um, Christianity. And the truth is that it's it's not Christian at all. Right. And we're going to focus. I'm glad that you guys both brought up that it is not, it, well, it's not Christian at all in whatever form it comes in, but it, there are aspects where it might be Gnostic or pagan, but there was a very specific within history, a movement of 
of Christian and Catholic mystics. And I do have a little confession that I did read some of the mystics when I was late teens or so. All of it has a very specific flavor to it, at least the stuff that I read. I read some others too. Mm-hmm. And I there's there's almost a, a mystery to it where right. it's not necessarily concrete where and I think partly because there's this experiential aspect. And but what I think within Christianity the primary problem is that they're trying to gain knowledge and wisdom through this experience instead of from the word of God. And we can't trust this knowledge and getting knowledge and wisdom from experience. Yes. And even pushing it so far as to say, if we're not using these mystical practices, we're missing out on something in our experience with God and our relationship with the Lord that we can't get just through reading scripture and prayer. You know, the traditional, the reformed practices that we have, um, they believe that we're we're missing out. We might we might gain more, learn more about God, get closer to Him by somehow using these, you know, ancient, newly discovered rituals that they're proposing that will help us know God more deeply. So in that sense, it's really dangerous because it's pulling people in to think, oh, I'm going to gain something I don't have, I don't have enough of right now. Right, and the Word of God is no longer sufficient. Right. Yeah. Within that, okay, so. Y- and you talk in your article specifically that, you know, that basically taking these mystical practices and making them as part of Christianity, you know, you have these ecstatic visions, you have uh, this mystical or, you know, this mystical union with God, which to me seems like a very mysterious, I almost feel like new age sort of yeah. way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. And so what what would... I mean, I hate to even use the term Christian mysticism, but I would like to talk specifically about that because there are still people even today who will call themselves Christian mystics. More often I see Catholics who call themselves that, but I did some research this week and I found people who said, I'm a Christian mystic. So how do they do this? How do they take Christianity and bring in this very unbiblical thing? Well, they certainly don't do it by telling you where it came from, Um, at least from my experience, when I've read books that have pulled mysticism into them when they're supposed to be a Christian book. They don't tell you, by the way, this this ritual of contemplative prayer and and meditation and emptying your mind and repeating phrases all over and over actually originated in Buddhism. Usually they won't say that. They'll just say, you know, this is a great way to you know, pray and then God will speak to you and God will give you this great experience. So honestly, it goes kind of undetected and under the radar. And in that sense, it's very, it can be really sneaky in a sense. I completely agree with you, Rebecca. Um, You know, my experience is very similar to what you just said, just about this and backing up to something you said a minute ago too that there is this sense of these mystic practices being put forward as if you do this you are going to get a kind of connection with god that's not available any other way and so what ends up happening is if i am told and i start to believe that i can just hear directly from god myself 
um, and that, you know, there's certain practices that I need to do to facilitate that and make that happen. And that what I should be doing is hearing from God every day. And even that this is the normal experience for a Christian, um, then what happens is that begins to take over the way that I am expressing my relationship to the Lord, you know, my focus on the word, it, it goes, it becomes less and less, or it completely goes away. Um, which there's a way that I can completely understand if it's really true that I can directly hear from God, why am I going to waste my time reading? I'm, I'm going to sit here and listen until I hear directly from God. And so then the outcome that I have seen is, what happens if I'm not hearing directly from God every day? What happens if I'm not hearing from God at all directly in my head or out loud or whatever it is that I'm supposed to experience? What if I'm honest with myself and I realize I'm not getting the experience? Now I start to wonder, what's wrong with me? Am I doing it wrong? Am I a subpar Christian? Am I a Christian at all? And, um, you know, I have seen people who I love very much go through very difficult periods of doubt. And it's my belief that this sort of practice is a um, a big source of that. It's not healthy for a Christian. It's not grounded in the absolute of God's word. You know what I'm thinking about as both of you are talking, and we know that the conversation is going to get to this, but some of what we're talking about is in the charismatic movement. And we've we've discussed before and when we did an episode a while back about private revelation and the will of God, and one of the things I talked about in that episode, because there people think that this hearing from God has to do with cessationism or continuationism, and I actually don't think it has anything to do with that, because getting private messages from God, I don't think it's the same thing as prophecy. I think it is mysticism. And... This is something I really want to talk about because I have had people quite upset with me when I say, no, I don't believe that God is giving you personal messages, you know, in your head or audibly. But this is something that we hear constantly from so many people today. God told me. So is this one of the aspects of mysticism? Yeah, I I think it is too. Um, I think that there is that expectation set up by the influence of mysticism that in the charismatic movement that we need to, we need, it's not enough to have the word of God um, applied to us through the spirit. And that's something I mentioned in the article is that we, the word of God is objective truth. And it's also, it's for us each personally but the way that we receive it personally is through the spirit applying that very word to us and not a separate word or a new word um, from the Lord. So it's the word of God is sufficient for each one of us on a personal level. Not that it's written just in general to everyone without any you know, application to each of us in our individual identities, but the way that in the, in the Christian's life, the way that we can have the word of God applied to us and have the Lord be communicating to us because that is important is through the through the scripture and that's how we can know that it is him otherwise there's so much confusion because we have lots of thoughts in our minds i know i do and it would be very confusing if i had to sort through all my thoughts and try to decide who's you know is this god telling me to do this or is it just me wanting to do it 
instead you have the word of God, which is God's very infallible word. And we, we can trust his word and the spirit applies it to us through reading it, through meditating on it, um, the scripture and not on our own words or our own thoughts. You know, Rebecca, um, when you're talking about um, the spirit applying the word of God to us, what is coming to my mind is the idea that our relationship with the father is not an unmediated one. We have a mediator um, who is Christ. And so that is, that is a completely different paradigm than mysticism, which is like, I'm dissolved into the divine and we're just kind of commingled and everything that God knows is now in me and all of that. It's just reminding me that, you know, part of our mediated relationship with the Father, it's through, um, through Christ. And then you emphasized his word. His word is um, the expression of who God is and, and his revelation to us of what he wants us to know. It, and the word tells us that it's it's complete. We it tells us everything that we need to know for life and godliness. He's told us what's good and what's required of us. It, it's full of words that are telling us uh, this book is enough. It tells you what you need to know. It, it tells us all that we need to know to be equipped for every good work. And so. You know, one of the things that I think about when I think about that is that a lot of times, you know, Colleen, you were talking about private revelation. That's so important in this conversation. And I agree agree with you that that's completely different than talking about prophecy. In my mind, private revelation is a sufficiency of scripture problem. Um, Private revelation is when we think that we need God to directly tell us, marry that person, go to that college, buy that car, buy the blue toaster instead of the red toaster. And the difficulty there is, you know, folks who are um, in favor of this will always say, well, we just test it against the word of God. But the problem is when the direct revelation, the personal revelation that I'm getting is, Angela, I want you to buy the blue toaster, not the red toaster. How do I test that against the word of God? I don't. What that does is it completely misunderstands the purpose of the word, the purpose of God speaking his revelation to us in the scripture. The purpose is to reveal his plan of redemption. It's not to personally direct me on every detail of life. We have freedom in Christ on many of those things, especially the toaster. So let me just say, listen to our episode, Private Revelations and the Will of God, because let's, uh, I'm just going to throw out a possible situation. Let's say that you have two jobs to choose between and you're saying, Lord, um, I don't know which to choose. Well, first of all, we do know from Proverbs that there's wisdom in counselors. So going and talking it through with with counselors, your pastor, uh, an older woman or whatever that, that would be wise to do. We, we bring in wisdom to these decisions and we look, okay, is one pay better? Would one be a better fit for me? And so we weigh decisions like that. And sometimes the Lord does give us direction in bringing people into our lives and counselors and wisdom and stuff like that. But this direct thing where we're looking for God to come down from heaven and say, um, take the job at Taco Bell, not the one at McDonald's, uh, that that's not a thing. And it's not something that we see in scripture. There's nothing in scripture that says you're going to get private messages from God outside of his word. 
There's simply nothing that does that. One of the things that I wanted to talk about is this: how this has affected worship. I think a lot of people's attitudes towards worship is almost a mystical experience. And we believe in the regulative principle of worship, that God has told us how he is to be worshiped. And we have some differences with Rebecca on on that, she um, holds to exclusive psalmody, but we do believe that God has told us how he is to be worshipped, and we see people looking for a mystical experience in worship, and that's not how God paints worship. You know, I used to be um, part, uh, at one point in my life, I was in a charismatic cult, and I do tell people this because I I want <laughs> I want to show how I've, I, you know, God has brought me through various experiences in my Christian walk. At that time in my life, my relationship with the Lord was a, very much based in emotionalism, and it was very damaging to me. And to this day, I, I have to fight against my tendencies toward emotionalism and focusing too much on my own feelings, my own emotions, um, in order to understand how my relationship with the Lord is, instead of looking to what He has done in Christ and what He has said in His Word. I'm always looking inward and that and part of that came from this experience I had where I thought that God was communicating to me through dreams and through private messages to me and I was always trying to focus on that. And one thing I wanted to say in in regards to that is it's very man-centered honestly um at least my experience of it was that it was all very much focused on what is God saying to me? What experience can I have? What am I feeling? Um, rather than being focused on God and his glory and his nature. Because when we look at God's nature, he's invisible. We worship him in spirit and in truth. It's We can't use these, these human pagan rituals to try to get God for ourselves because that's not, God is very holy and God is God. He's not man. So there's really no point for us to be trying to invent our own ways um, of worshiping God or to invent our own ways to try to get more of God or experience God in a way that suits our our emotions. So there are times in the Christian life where we're not fired up for God. We don't feel this great, you know, mountain of emotion. And sometimes God wants us to be there because he's humbling us. He's teaching us to trust him even when our our experience is not this mountaintop experience. So um I think that's another damaging thing about mysticism is that it sets up this sense where we need a mediator in mysticism in order to get more of God and get what we want from God rather than looking at him and seeing what he's already told us and given us in order to experience his love and to really know him. You know, Rebecca, something that you said kind of um, made me think of a question. I wonder what you think of this. Um, You were talking about mysticism setting you being man-centered and setting you up to feel like what is God going to tell me 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 and what I sort of think about with that is that it's also very individualistic and therefore kind of downplays the corporate nature nature of Christianity what do you think about that right no I I agree very much because it is a very individualistic thing when you look at it because Really, so what I hear God saying to me, nobody can question. If if I say God told me this, how can someone tell me He didn't? If I, if there's no basis, no standard of truth to really 
use. If, if we're all going to say, yes, God can speak to each person individually, then we've lost that standard of scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if we use the standard of scripture, we can say, we can judge what people say based on what the the word already says and what God has already revealed. So, and I, I do think it kind of pushes other people out. And I think there is a connection. I don't know historically, but I think there is a, there is a connection between mysticism and kind of a separation from the visible church and kind of like a me and me and Jesus thing where it kind of downplays the role of confessions, the role of the church, the role of church authority um, and the, the reformed faith. So I think that's where a lot of people are trying to get their own experience of God apart from what he's already revealed to his whole church. So I would agree with you for sure. You know, I'm as you guys are both talking, I'm thinking how many of these things that you're both talking about have become so prevalent in American Christianity or modern evangelicalism. And I wanted to talk about some of the examples we gave the, we've been talking about the example of God speaking to us outside of scripture. And when I did a study on that, on the history of that uh, a while back, what I found is that really was something within mysticism. And then it kind of came in, in the charismatic movement and was in Pentecostalism. But in the last, I think, especially 40 years, it seeped into broader Christianity. And so we see how this mysticism has actually influenced broader Christianity. And But I want to talk about some of the other examples. And uh, let's contemplative prayer. It's not something I know a lot about. I think both of you may know a little bit more about it. But what is contemplative prayer? Right. Contemplative prayer. Prayer um, uh, is a practice um, where you are sort of disciplining your body and retreating into your mind um, to hear from God. And so a lot of times this involves, well, first of all, um, the first part of the process is to clear your mind. But before you even do that, you a lot of times people will set up an environment that's conducive that... Uh, to this practice. Um, so there may be something called soaking music or contemplative music. In fact, you know, we've talked a little bit on a couple of other podcasts about um, the music sort of from the NAR movement and some of the hyper charismatic circles and how that music is intentionally written to produce an emotional response. Very often the music from those movements, Bethel, Jesus Culture, and um, can be Hillsong as well, will be used as soaking music um, and the the music gets turned on and sets a mood. Um, It's very repetitive. It has a very certain kind of beat that gets, it creates a certain physical response from your body. And then, so then there's clearing your mind and sort of emptying all of the thoughts And you may um, choose maybe a word to focus on and just repeat that word in your mind. Or you may, um, there's a variant of this called listening prayer where you don't think of a word. You just sit there silently um, or listening to the soaking music until you think you hear something from God. And this can involve all kinds of different physical posture, can be lying on the ground, can be sitting, you know, it's sitting very comfortably, um, but there's a real quieting of the body and it's, it's always involving listening. So um, that's, that's what I know. Con- 
contemplative prayer and um, listening prayer to be. It's definitely get, the goal is to hear something direct from God to you. And yeah, I, I would agree with that. And also with the repeating of the phrase or the word, I believe if I'm recalling correctly, I, I did read and review a book that advocated contemplative prayer and automatic writing, um, which is a very similar practice, uh, mystical practice. But I, I think that repeating the phrase, the purpose of that was to almost, you know, take on the role of the Holy Spirit and sanctify yourself to kind of pick a word or something you want to be or to accept and become and to repeat it over and over so that it really drills into you. I, I believe what I read in the book was something like, you know, I am, I am loved by God. I am special. I am powerful or I'm strong or something. You just focus on that and you're trying to really um, affect yourself with it. And, and somehow through that process, God is going to affirm you or connect with you because you're, and it, it, you can see a resemblance to Christian, true Christian meditation, because we should be meditating on God's word and God's word should be on our minds. And that's good to do that. And we should, and we're commanded to in scripture to meditate on God's word, but it goes beyond scripture because it's trying to take our words and instead of filling them with God's word, it's emptying our minds of, of anything and putting our own words back in. So um, in that sense, it's, it's kind of the opposite, but I, people find it appealing because it seems like a very mystical, spiritual type of thing to do. And something, maybe people are looking for something to do. Um, maybe reading the Bible and praying just seems too simple or there's not enough of an emotional response from that. So it, I know that appealed to me back when I was um, involved in this movement. It appealed to me to be able to kind of do something where I'm really, I really get this emotional connection and experience through it. So that would be my understanding of contemplative prayer. Some of what you two are mentioning reminds me of something I read like a really long time ago that had to do with people like almost hypnotizing themselves. And it had nothing to do with anything spiritual, but the things you're talking about sound so similar to that. And the reason I'd read it is somebody was into it and asked me, hey, what do you think about this? Sounds kind of weird. And, and I even just even think about the law of attraction stuff where you're picturing something that you want or doing a vision board where even that law of attraction has a mysticism component, I think, to it. One of the things I wanted to say is that we are not saying that there aren't any experiences within our Christianity. We do experience things like joy and peace. And we see in the Psalms, you know, that we sometimes that we experience emotions. But the problem with mysticism is that they're not focusing on the objective truths of God's word, where this sub these subjective feelings become the foundation of our faith as a, instead of instead of the the truths of God's word. Can you guys think of any other examples that you see of mysticism in Christianity? 
You know, I saw an example just a few weeks ago. Um, I think we were talking earlier about um, mysticism being prevalent in the charismatic movement. Um, I came across um, a Facebook post that sort of went viral, and uh, one of our friends from Theology Gals interacted with this post a little bit, and the lady who posted it. Um, I'll just read a little bit of it. She says, Today, my life was forever changed. I had my first session of a class I'm taking called Developing Intimacy with God. During prayer, I said, Father, I feel so lonely. He said, Yes, I miss you too. Confused by the father's response, I said, Father, what do you mean? That has nothing to do with what I just said to you. He said, Actually, it has everything to do with what you just said to me. Loneliness is a lie. It actually doesn't exist. You compartmentalize your life and only include me in the spiritual parts of your life when I actually want to be included in every part of your life, spiritual or unspiritual. And and it's long, so I'm going to skip ahead a little. She says, Um, that God said, I've been sitting next to you this whole time waiting for you to acknowledge me. I wept. Then I asked, Father, okay, so what would my life look like if I didn't compartmentalize where I include you? He said, it would look like you waking up in the morning and seeing me sitting on the end of your bed, smiling over you and hearing me wish you good morning. It would look like asking me what makeup look you should do today. I gave you the gift of art, and you're so good at it. I'd love to help you. It would look like holding my hand in the car on your drive to school. Um, and she goes on. It's, it's a pretty long post, but I think that's enough to, to give the example. that. And, and this post came with a picture of this lady in her car um, in sort of that contemplative posture that we talked about earlier, very relaxed. Um, she's got tears streaming down her face, and her hands are up in that sort of receiving way, um, hearing from God. And, you know, the difficulty here, this is sort of similar to something that we only mentioned but didn't really talk about what it is, automatic writing. It's listening for for God's voice and listening for what he tells you and then writing it down. And, and that's what happened here. And the difficulty here is that what's being talked about here, there's, there's no, no alignment with the word of God no proof from the word of God that God um, would say these sort of things. And these words are being attributed to God. And so uh, this is very, very dangerous because um, we're attributing God saying things that um, we have no way to test against the word of God. And now I can pretty much put words into God's mouth and make him say anything that I want because it's really coming from inside me. And you notice even in the quote you read, the example it's very me focused. It's God saying all these things to me about me and how great I am and how much, you know, he just wants to be part of my life. And of course there's an element of truth to that. We, God does love us. He does care about our lives. He is part of our lives. Um, He should be the whole of our lives, but it's still very me centered rather than, I mean, there's no mention of sin. There's no mention of, I want you to serve me. Um, not that that would be right for someone to write down like a specific quote that's not in scripture as God saying it. But even the example shows that it still has that me focus and it's still also very emotional. And I think those are some, some hints or clues that it's, it's a, more of a mystical experience that is being described. And as far as experiencing in the Christian life, what you said, Colleen, about 
how we do experience things. That is so true. And we don't want to, we don't want to go to the extreme on the other end and say that Christianity is only this objective, impersonal thing. And that God, God never connects and, and, communicates to us personally he does but the way like we said the way he does it is through scripture and the the way that we have love and joy and peace the fruit of the spirit is not through this kind of emotional or as some mystics have taken it even as far as erotic emotionalism people saying that god is wants to make love to them or that very very disgusting but um taking it to that extreme and making it this romance and this romantic thing. Instead, it's, it's the love, joy, and peace of the Holy Spirit are rooted in God's truth and in what God has done through Jesus Christ. And even when we're not fully experiencing that in our emotions and we're not feeling at peace, we're struggling with anxiety or whatever it is, when we, ha- when we know what God has done for us in Christ and we have his word, we have that as our foundation and a rock to stand on and it abides regardless of what season we're in. And that's, that's what really helped me get out of the charismatic movement. I saw that, I saw that um, my emotions were turbulent and changed every day and every season, but God doesn't change. His word doesn't change. And that is what we need to be anchored on. And that is what's going to give us true lasting peace and joy and love in Christ. As you're listening to us be thinking of examples, they might not be to the extent that we've talked about, but you've probably seen some of these examples. We see so so much of an emphasis on experience within Christianity now. And I really think it's at the expense of truth. And I think this is the the problem with this is that this mysticism is really elevates experience as the primary thing as opposed to truth and the word of God being the primary thing. I'd like to go through, Rebecca, you, you uh, give some points in your article and I'd like to go through some of them where you talk about, you know, we we don't need mysticism. And let's let's talk about some of those. One of the things that I've seen that's fairly prevalent in mysticism, the way the language that is used to kind of create an allure for mysticism is that they have this reviving spiritual awakening um, movement or the, these practices that are going to awaken you and, you know, kind of enliven your dull, lifeless Christian experience. So in that sense, they appeal to pretty much any of us who struggle with feeling dull or feeling like we, you know, we're not really um, experiencing the fullness of of what we expect to, to experience with God, we, that we're struggling with um, depression maybe, or just feeling like our prayer life is not right or something like that. And so we're we feel lack because we're sinful, you know, and we're not in heaven yet. This is this is a fallen world and we're fallen people. So they kind of pounce on that and say, we have something that's going to awaken your spiritual life and it's it's going to be something that will help you truly fully experience God in a way that you're not right now. And the Holy Spirit is not, you're not taking full advantage of the Holy Spirit. You you don't know him fully. If you do these practices, the Holy Spirit will speak to you and influence you in a deeper way. So that's one of the one of the points that um, 
I tried to explain in the article because I think that's a, a dangerous mindset to have that we need to be awoken from some kind of spiritual slumber because we're not mystics. That's that's kind of scary too. I was thinking about when God would speak to people in those those few instances. It's not it's not a lot in scripture where he would directly speak. And this seems so contingent upon me opening myself up to let God speak. It almost diminishes the true power of God and gives us a lot of power almost. Like I have to do all of these things, have this posture or empty my mind in order for God to be able to speak to me. It's very focused on us and it lacks, I think what you're hinting at there is it lacks acknowledgement of God's holiness um, as being utterly above us, as being God, true God and we being creatures. Um, so if we're, you know, if we're saying that we need to do all these things to, to make God in order to get God to talk to us or get God to do something for us, that's, that's making us above God in a sense. Yeah. It's, it's definitely uh, thinking about God's revelation in exactly the opposite way of what the purpose of it is. You know, it's thinking about the purpose of God's revelation is now to tell me whether to wear, you know, this makeup look or that makeup look today. It's to help me look my best. When in fact, the purpose of the revelation of God's revelation to us is to reveal his plan to save sinners and to call sinners to himself. It's to reveal who he is. So just as you were saying, Rebecca, he's holy. He, he is not a genie to answer all of my whims. He is a holy God um, whose purpose of his revelation is to show us his plan. The other thing that I see is that the purpose of God is to make me happy and have me experience things instead of understanding God's holiness, understanding our sin, understanding the need for a Savior, and as believers, understanding sanctification and the purposes of the law. None of that is part of this. It's The whole emphasis is so that God can make me happy and fulfilled through experience. And that's not what Christianity is about. So, Rebecca, you, one of the things you say is we don't need fake voices to hear from them. Yeah, we, we don't need to listen to our own minds and hearts or really anyone who's trying to tell us that they have a word from God that's not in Scripture. We don't, we don't need to add anything to God's word. It's sufficient. And we can trust God that through His Spirit, He's going to use His word to teach us. And there is a struggle in us, in our sin, our sinful um, hearts, that we want it to be easier, the process of sanctification, that we want we want a clear-cut voice to tell us, hey, you need to quit this job, or you need to break up with this person, or you need to marry this person. We want it to be an easier way um, in this life. But God has seen fit, and it's something we need to accept and even embrace, is that God's ways are better and higher than our ways. And so the fact that that he's called us to rely upon his word and to rely upon his spirit, even though we can't see him, we can't see his spirit, we can't hear him audibly. That's, that's faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for the certainty of things unseen. And so mysticism is really trying to replace faith in a sense, not saying that all mystics are necessarily don't have faith or unsaved, but I think in, 
in a, in a real sense, there's a replacement of faith where we're trying to make things that are invisible and unseen seen so that we can have something else to trust in besides God's word and besides God himself and his nature. I mean, what do we need in order to know God and draw near to him? Do we need to draw a circle on the ground and sit in it to, in order to pray? Do we to get protection? Do we need to clear our minds and make some kind of phrase and repeat it over and over? Or do we, or do we need what God has told us we need, which is righteousness that we can only gain through Christ. We need his Holy spirit and the word of God to direct us. We need prayer. We need to, to pray to God and rely upon him. And those, that's all we need. We don't need human inventions or um, gadgets or any kind of thing that's supposed to help us connect. And sometimes this is not an example that um, I know too much about, but I, I know that there are um, mystical practices right now where people are incorporating objects into prayer um, as some kind of way to enhance your prayer life. Those kind of things are just unnecessary. And if they're not in scripture, it's really trying to create a man-made mediator in order to get God to come near to us. And he's already drawn near to us in Christ. What I'm also really hearing you say is that is the word of God and the things that he's given us sufficient for Christian faith and practice, or is it not? And when we're seeking these other things, aren't we saying that what we've been given in the word of God and in the Holy Spirit isn't sufficient? I think that's definitely the case, um, because when we start listening for God to give me a fresh word, it's only the natural um, response. And I've known people who had this response that their attitude, all the attitude almost becomes, you know what? I have been through the period of my life where I read the Bible. I've done that. I've done that enough. I'm good now. Now I'm moving beyond into this higher realm of Christianity and I'm going for the fresh words. And so there is a very real leaving behind of the word of God that we already have. And I, I was just thinking of something connected to that. To be clear, sometimes mystics do use, and often they use the, the scripture to try to support some of their teachings. Um, but mm-hmm. a lot of times what we'll see is that they, they take the Bible passages out of context and they make them about something that is not supposed to be the primary focus of the passage, um, which is something we see in a lot of different flawed or false areas of, of um, Christian, supposedly Christian teaching. For example, mystics will often focus on our dreams and destinies, you know, building our self-esteem, making ourselves somehow, you know, content and happy with ourselves and embracing all that God wants us to be. Um, and so they'll use things like the story of David and Goliath or various other passages in scripture. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and taking it out of its context and making it again, Mm -hmm. focused and, and all about these dreams and destinies that God wants me to, to experience. And I, I wanted to point that out because sometimes mysticism is, is not just like some kind of Buddhist practice, like emptying your mind or whatever. Sometimes it's just it's just implying that you're missing out on something that God wants you to know or to do. And so if you do these things, if you read my book and you you know, you you decide that you're going to 
pursue all your dreams that somehow God is going to then show you your destiny. And it's just this really sad thing. It's this, it's this endless pursuit for contentment and for this experience of God that this person doesn't have at the moment. And it's, it's, it's very manipulative of people. And so I think that's another important aspect of mysticism is to realize, to recognize that um, it can be rooted in, in that way of thinking rather than just being an external practice that comes from Buddhism or whatever it might be. That's a great point um, about the manipulation. And I actually think that even just mysticism in general, where there can be a manipulating factor, if you say, well, God told me such and such, like I've told the story that a couple of guys told me God told them that they were supposed to marry me. And one of them was very, very angry at me for not listening to God about this because I said, I don't think so. And, and how do you argue with someone who says that God told them something? Oh, yes. And I've had similar experiences. Um, uh, we knew had some friends uh, in our past, um, and we were working through talking about um, whether or not these practices were okay and, and that there was false teaching involved. And one of our friends who was considering that um, this sounds like it's not Christian and that it might be false teaching, uh, this conversation was happening. And then, of course, right about that same time, someone got a vision that the person who was being persuaded this is false teaching, I've just received a vision that you're a flower and you are growing so much through these practices. How do you argue with this? And how do you test this against the word of God? I, I want to say that again, because often that argument is made by continuationists that, well, we get these visions and revelations, but we always test them against the word of God. I find that to be untrue because there's not a way to test, I see that you're a flower and these things are great. There's no way to test that against the word of God. There's no way to test against the word of God. If God told me to wear blue eyeshadow today instead of my normal pink eyeshadow. Right. right. And, and really the test of that against the word of God is that there's nothing in the word of God to substantiate or make us believe that God speaks to us in that way. And, and that's what should tell us that it's, it's not something we should be seeking because there's no indication in the scripture. We're never commanded to do this. We're never commanded to empty our mind. We're, we're never commanded to, you know, try to envision me sitting on the end of your bed or holding your hand while you drive to work. A lot of times also another clue as in testing what the mystics are saying against scripture is if, if they're writing, for instance, a book that contains mysticism, I've, I've reviewed a couple books that had examples of mysticism in them. But those examples were not the only issue with the book. The book as a whole had anti-biblical teachings in it. And so a lot of these things kind of come together. A lot of, a lot of mystic, mystics or mystical practices are connected with other false teachings or other uh, teachings that just don't line up with scripture. And so um, I think that that helps us to, to discern the voices that are out there in the books. I'll give an example. I read, I read and reviewed a book called Without Rival by Lisa Bevere. And in one example in her book, she, she tells us that we should go ahead and do automatic writing, which um, means taking a pen, closing your eyes and asking God to 
tell you all of the amazing plans he has for you and what he thinks of you and how great you are and just writing them down and looking them over and saying, wow, look at what God has said to me. And there's no mention of using scripture. There's no mention of even testing it against scripture. But this book, this was not the only issue in the book. There were a lot of issues with it, biblically speaking, um, as far as she was advocating for female pastors. And there's other issues in the book besides just the mysticism. There's the female pastors that she's advocating for and even prosperity gospel type of teachings. Um, So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of these things kind of flock together. And so we, we can use discernment if you're reading you know, a blog or a book or something that you think might have, might have some mystical teachings in it. A lot of times that's not the only error that they're going to have. You know what, Rebecca, I'm really glad you made that point because um, it is so true. Um, And what you said about discernment, we actually talked about this in our discernment episode um, that it's the idea that um, we're not holding fast to the word of God and what has been revealed in the word of God to us. Instead, false teachers often move beyond what is in the word of God and leave it behind. And what you're talking about there is that, you know, these in this mysticism idea, we've already said it's a lot of emotionalism. It's a lot of experience instead of um, the, the objective word of God. And so when we rely on emotionalism and experience as our guide for truth, then it's very, very likely, if not just a sure thing, that there's going to be a lot of other false theology and, and theological problems that come along with that besides just the contemplative prayer and mysticism. You know, everything that we're talking about here ultimately goes back to what we talk about on Theology Gals all the time, and that is the importance of knowing the Word of God in knowing sound doctrine and in being discerning. Whether it's reading a book like Girl, Wash Your Face, whether it's dealing with whether a certain practice is biblical, knowing the Word of God and lining up everything that we do, what we believe, our practices, lining all of that up with the Word of God. And that's why we should seek to know the Word of God, to know sound theology, so that we recognize things that are not biblical. Absolutely. You know, we've been talking about Rebecca's article, um, and we're going to link that in the show notes. But I just wanted to say, Rebecca, I read your article about mysticism before I even knew you and, um, and had had some uh, brushes with mysticism myself. And I just really want to encourage our listeners to go take a look at Rebecca's article, um, Mysticism, We Don't Need You. It is um, just really beautifully written for, from a creative voice and just leaving some of that behind for me, the way that you wrote it with a strong voice, confident in the word of God and almost as a rebuke against mysticism. It's just really wonderful. So I hope our re- our listeners will go check that out. And I have a couple other resources on mysticism that I will link in our episode notes. And then also The episode that we did on private revelation and the will of God, we'll dig a little bit more into that because I know that that's a question that comes up a lot. How am I supposed to know what to do if God doesn't give me private messages? And that's something that we addressed on this episode. Rebecca, we 
are so grateful that you took the time to come and, and talk about this. I think this is an important, very important issue. I think we're surrounded by it. I think we see examples on social media or from some of our Christian friends. So thank you so much for taking the time with us. Thank you for having me. And I just wanted to say before um, we finish, just real quick, I just wanted to to say to anyone listening who might be just feeling like maybe unsure about mysticism or unsure about how to experience God speaking to you or experience his love in a real way without falling into mysticism. I just wanted to say um, Christ is better than mysticism and he is going to be faithful to you. If you're in him, there might be times in your life when you feel like he's not answering you in prayer when you feel far from him. I know that's true for me. There are times when we sin and we need to repent. There's times when we, when God really calls us to seek, seek after him and he, he may not immediately seem to be answering our prayers or showing us everything that we, we desire from him, but we have the hope that he is faithful and he's going to help us. He'll never leave us. And I just want to give that encouragement as well um, to anyone who might be listening. That's, I think that's a great point to wrap up on. We can trust that the things in the word of God are true. And even when we don't feel them, like Rebecca said, about God's faithfulness, about his love for us. So that's that's where we know what is truth. Not if we're experiencing a certain thing or feeling close to God. There's examples in the Psalms where sometimes the psalmist didn't feel close to God, but he always went back to what he knew to be true about God. And so that that's going to be our encouragement to all of you. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.